Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Spillan's sermon today is A Peace That Surpasses All Understanding. The big idea is that in a world marked by anxiety and uncertainty, the church can be a people characterized by supernatural peace if we trust the Lord is at hand, present our requests to Him, and express our gratitude for all that God has done. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It is on page 832 in your pew Bible. Philippians chapter 4. I want to say a, a word about kind of how I understand preaching and why it's important as it forms us individually and as a people that we are um, looking at God's Word each week both to sustain our own individual faith but also to shape our culture as a church what we understand to be true and how it is that God calls us to live in light of the gospel. And so we've termed or titled this sermon series A Church Transformed by the Gospel. And we conclude it today and it really is this conviction that I have that apart from God's Spirit transforming us as we look at his word, we will struggle to be the people that he calls us to be in the New Testament, that will revert back to our own understanding or our own wisdom or the way that we've been shaped deeply over a long period of time. And so we're asking God to give us a new understanding so that Sunday mornings wouldn't be isolated events, but the things that we talk about and the ways that we consider who God's calling us to be really would spill over into our business meetings and our visioning and our prayer so that we start to look more and more like the people that we see God calling us to be in his word. So we've been looking over four weeks now. This is our fourth week. Um, Philippians 1, we talked about the importance of us being dependent upon God. So we pray not just to go through the motions because we really do believe that if God doesn't work among us, we don't have any hope of accomplishing his task or mission for us in the world. Philippians 2, we looked at the example of Christ's humility and the idea that Paul calls us not just to worry about our own interests or what we want, but to look up and look out at the interests of others in our church and in our world and follow in the example of the humility that Christ set for us. And then last week, we looked at the importance of us not looking to our own resume or Um, All the reasons that we might list that God would be lucky to have us on his team, but our ultimate boast and our brag is only in what God has done for us in Jesus. And then today we're going to look at how it is that we can experience peace in a world where um, it seems like anxiety is the order of the day. So how is it that you and I might be different because of our faith, both as individuals and as a community of faith? So that in mind, I invite you to listen Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, Paul writes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like you, I have thought a lot about the pandemic over the last few years. And I look back and I think about the early days of the pandemic, and I can start sweating and my heart rate can go up really fast as I think about what life was like at the beginning. And anxiety, unless you are superhuman, I would guess was also a part of your life at that point. And it transformed even normal routine activities into missions. So for example, early on, when I would go to the grocery store, it wasn't just that I was going to the grocery store to get some sandwich meat for the week or make sure we had enough milk in the refrigerator, but going to the grocery store became a mission. And I would pull up at Publix or Aldi, whatever it was, and I would put my mask on, and I would go through those sliding glass doors, and I was focused. I wasn't just getting food. I was helping my family survive. And I would walk in there and, you know, sure that a virus is floating all throughout the grocery store. And I didn't take time to speak to somebody in the produce section. I didn't really take time to talk to someone at the meat counter. I was focused and I was moving from this spot to that spot. And the, the shipped people, you know, I would run over them with my buggy if I needed to. It was me or them. And there was one point where I would buy anything that had meat in it or on it. If you remember, you go by the meat section and it looked like James Spann had called for a blizzard. There's no bread. There's no milk. You're looking for peanut butter. You're not looking for your favorite kind. You just want any peanut butter. Like everything has changed. And then I would rush out to the car. We would take things inside. We will wipe down everything, sure that, you know, one of us was going to get the virus off of the orange juice carton. And it just totally transformed everything as this idea of scarcity and anxiety kind of crept into our lives. It totally changed everything. And you see this happen from time to time. Um, recently, there was a, a gas shortage. Do you remember that? And maybe people from my hometown, I don't know, people that they talked about were like getting um, uh, grocery bags and going to the gas pump. You're like, fill them up, right? Whatever you got, get your gas. And this anxiety that starts creeping in changes how we live really quickly. And we think we're civilized. We think we're really polished kind of people. But you let, you let scarcity start coming in. And you really start to see where people place their hope. You really start to see where we place our understanding of why it is that we can function in life and move about and have this certain sense of security that everything is going to be okay. 
And I think this has always been the case for human beings. That when we have a lot, we're tempted to rely upon our own resources and we're tempted to really think that we don't need God. That I've got this. Every week we play the Lord's Prayer in this traditional service and if I'm honest with you, there aren't a whole lot of weeks where I really pray that with conviction. Give me this day my daily bread. Because most days I feel like I have plenty in the, in the cupboard for my daily bread. Or when we don't have enough, we're tempted to think that everything depends upon us. And then we don't really lean into the fact that God's going to provide for us. There's this wonderful prayer in Proverbs chapter 30. I knew this was in the back of my mind and I had to Google to find out exactly where it was, admittedly. But in Proverbs chapter 30, in a book of wisdom, listen to this prayer that is offered. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. As far back as the book of Proverbs, there's this recognition that if we have too much, we're tempted to say, who is the Lord? I've got everything that I need to supply um, my wants and my desires. I don't need God in this moment. Or if we don't have enough for things to deteriorate very quickly and you are no longer my friend or my neighbor or church member, but you're the person standing between me and the last pepperoni pizza in the freezer section. There's meat there. And this idea of us understanding and experiencing God's contentment and his peace, both in plenty and in want, is something that humans have always struggled to experience. I take some comfort in the fact that Paul had to give instructions to the church in Philippi to help these two women who were at each other's necks apparently come to a situation of peace. Now perhaps Baptists have gotten a, a bad rap for being contentious people, but it was a, an issue way back in the first century in the city of Philippi. And so Paul writes and he says, okay, leaders there, I want, you to, I want you to help these two people come to an understanding of how they can live at peace with each other in the Lord. They've been fellow workers with me in the gospel. They're ladies that have been companions, and I look to them, but now something has happened in their relationship where they are at enmity with each other. Help them agree in the Lord. And it's after that instruction about helping these two women come to a place of peace that Paul's then going to launch into how it is that you and I as followers of Jesus can experience peace regardless of what it is that we face in this world. And he starts with this instruction, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Now that should sound familiar to you because back in Philippians chapter 3, what did Paul write in verse 1? Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul would not have been in a position where you and I would have easily understood why it is that he could have joy or rejoice in the Lord. 
Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Jail. He's writing from prison because of his faithfulness to Jesus. And he still is able to find joy and to rejoice even in those circumstances because he could see that his imprisonment gave him a unique opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people who otherwise wouldn't have heard or seen it in his life. And the believers in Philippi, I don't think it would have been obvious to them why they should rejoice. But you and I are used to being the dominant people in the culture when it comes to our faith. But they were seen as odd and strange. Many of them had given up first order commitments to their family, lost their jobs. And in that situation, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. I think we see from this passage that that for you and for me, rejoicing, praising God for who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus, and recognizing that the good news of the gospel is not only good news on our good days, but in every situation and everything that we face, in plenty or in want, the gospel is still good news. And so you and I, It's not that we're stoics. It's not that we pretend that things aren't bad. It's not that we act like we don't have hardships in life. We acknowledge those things, but we do those as people who have an ultimate hope that can't be extinguished in this life or in the life to come. So rejoicing reminds us of those truths, even in hard times. Rejoice, Lord, always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. When I'm in a position where things are scarce, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not always the most gentle person. The English Standard Version translates that word gentle as gentleness as reasonableness. And if we've seen anything in the last few years regardless of how you um, understand politics or anything else, there have been times where reasonableness and gentleness have been in short supply. That fear, anxiety, this idea that everything ultimately that you and I depend on is um, about to be shaken. Sometimes Christians, we haven't been leading the way in being reasonable and gentle. But Paul gives the reason why in every situation that you and I can be reasonable and gentle people. Because we believe that the God of all creation is present. The Lord is near. That God really does care about us as his people. That he really is going to provide for our every need. That everything in life is not up to me to make sure that I ensure that it happens. And everyone that I encounter is not an opponent or someone who's in a fight with me for these limited resources that are before me. Instead of being anxious, Paul says, In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Closely related to rejoicing, I think, is the idea of us being thankful people. When we 
run into situations where we think there's not enough resources or where things are scarce, we often enter into this idea that we, we, we fail to acknowledge the myriad ways that God has shown his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives because we're so focused on the issue or the problem that we have. Paul says, rather than giving yourself to all those things, I want you to present your request to God. I want you to pray. And as you're praying, as you're presenting those requests, do so with thanksgiving. There's one thing that's true of us as a people here at Mount Merritt Baptist Church is that we have lots and lots of reasons to be thankful. That God has been so incredibly gracious to us through what he has done for us, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also in the many ways that he has supplied everything that we need to carry out his mission here in this place and even to the ends of the earth, that you and I ought to be people who are characterized by this deep sense of gratitude and thankfulness for who God is and all that he has done for us. And so Paul says, as you rejoice, as you give thanks for who God is and all he's done, as you acknowledge the really many, many ways that he has been gracious to you with thanksgiving to him, what will happen? Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses or transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've been anxious in the last few years, as I have been, it's not as if our anxieties or our fears are totally unfounded. There have been reasons to be anxious. There's been reasons to be fearful. But Paul says that there is in the midst of those things a peace that you and I can experience because of our relationship with God that surpasses understanding. That there ought to be something true of our Christian life as individuals and as a community of faith where people might bump into us and they say, why are you not going crazy right now? Why are you not running down and filling every container you have with gas? Why are you not building a new shed with six freezers to freeze all the food you can? Why are you not doing all of these things? Because we believe that the Lord is near. Because we believe that God's going to provide for our every need. And we experience in those moments this peace that passes normal understanding. Pray, rejoice, be thankful, and then allow your heart and your mind to be saturated with things that will promote that in your life. Verse 8. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I challenge you this week to consider the things that you think about and see if they line up with that list that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 4. Think about the things that you saturate your mind and your heart with. And then consider, are they true, noble, 
right, pure, love, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. In our world of 24-7 news, there is this tendency that we have to allow our hearts and our minds to be totally saturated with things that would cause us to fear, with things that would cause us not to experience God's peace. So in contrast to that, you and I are called to saturate our hearts and our minds with things that are deeper and truer and beautiful and praiseworthy and excellent. And then we see that we experience a peace that passes all understanding. That there might be people in your life that you bump into at work or in your neighborhood, that they see in your life this peace that passes understanding that's not normal given the current state of affairs. And you can say, here's how I experience peace in every situation. I believe that there's a God. I believe that he's in relationship with me, that I'm a part of his covenant people, that he has met all of my needs through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that nothing in this world is going to separate me from his love, not even death. And then maybe you could encourage them to tune out some of the things that are shaping their hearts and their minds, to feast upon God's word and think about things that are true and noble and right and beautiful and excellent, that they might also experience the peace that you have experienced. Paul ends this passage with this verse 9. Paul was not telling them to go out and do something that he hadn't done on his own. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And at the end of chapter 4, Paul talks about thanking them for sending something to meet his needs while he was in prison. So you might imagine if I was in prison for the gospel and you all knew about it, and you're sending stuff just to make sure that my needs were met because nobody else was going to do it for me, that the government state wasn't going to make sure that I was fed while I was in prison. And so you're sending stuff just to make sure I have what I need. And Paul writes and he says, thank you for doing that. I'm, I'm so grateful that you remembered my needs while I was in prison. But I want you to know that, that ultimately God's going to be the one who supplies my every need. I've learned the secret of contentment. In plenty or in want. Philippians 4.13, I imagine that many of you could stand up and recite this verse. I can do all things through him, through who Christ, who strengthens me. Paul could be in prison. He could understand in contentment and experience it because of what God would do for him in Christ. He met every need that he had. Paul could be in plenty. He could have lots of stuff and experience this contentment that could only be known through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that that would be increasingly true for you and for me and for us as a people. Because as we move into the future, there are a lot of exciting things I think that God would have us to know. I think there are a lot of things that we could experience and transform not only our lives, but also the lives of those who live around us here in Mountain Brook, home of Estavia, Hoover, all of these areas around us. But if you and I 
are not transformed by the gospel. The church is just purely a human community that we come together and do our best. Then we're tempted to look at our resources as scarce. We're tempted to look at each other as opponents. Where what you want is different from what I want. And so now we're going to kind of fight over these limited resources in the middle of the table to see if we can get our thing forward. And that is something that the world knows. They understand people who live like that. May it be that God would so transform us by the gospel that we understand that God's going to provide for our every need individually and corporately and give us this common vision, this common mission and passion that we're moving forward together. And even if something's done that's not exactly like I would want it done, I can be okay with that. Because I can trust that God's going to supply my every need through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything's not up to me. The Lord is at hand. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices or our own resources. We thank you that though much has changed over the years, one thing that has not changed is your character. That you're abounding in steadfast love and mercy. That you are gracious and that you forgive and that you live in covenant relationship with your people. Even when we stray from you, you will not give up on us. So we pray that we would be a community formed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we study your word and we pray together, as we rejoice, as we give thanks, that there would be this peace that surpasses all understanding and that people would be drawn to you by our life and our witness, that you would accomplish many great things in and through our congregation. And as we look back on all that you've done, we would be careful to give you all of the glory for this supernatural work that you do in and through us, the power of your Holy Spirit. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work. Thank you.